0: You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, where doctors, researchers, authors, nutritionists, and top health professionals share the latest news about staying well and living better. The information you hear today is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, but it's always timely, credible, interesting, and best of all, there's never a copay. Now, here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you tuning in. Drugs that successfully treat Alzheimer's are one of medicine's biggest challenges. But for the first time, the FDA says a new group of medications do measure up. If someone you love is already impaired by Alzheimer's, I'm sorry to report it's already too late for these drugs. They're only going to be given to patients in the earliest stages of dementia. They can't reverse the damage already done, but they do appear to slow progression of Alzheimer's through calling your immune system into the fight. That's welcome progress, yes, but that's also where things get cloudy. Dr. Mia Yang is a geriatrician and Alzheimer's researcher at Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist. She says America's healthcare system just is not ready for all the demands that will come with this new class of drugs to fight Alzheimer's.
1: Specifically, all of these monoclonal antibodies come in the form of infusions. Mm -hmm. And in the clinical trials where they were done, there were very strict inclusion and exclusion criteria. done at specialized centers, including ours, where we carefully screened participants who might be the most eligible for the studies. However, on the clinical side, we really don't have as much of the back office type of support in terms of filtering through people who may have a number of other concerns that may mimic memory loss and try to find the people in that small group of the population who not only have very mild memory problems, but also that their memory problems are most likely due to the earliest signs of Alzheimer's disease with the amyloid in their brain. One of the other issues that I'm hopeful that FDA and CMS will decide to do is to give us a hint as to what sort of biomarker for amyloid that they think would be the most appropriate to use in a larger scale, because amyloid PET scans are currently not covered by Medicare or any other insurance companies, and they are just astronomically expensive to pay out of pocket for.
0: And there is a lot to unpack there. So for all of us who aren't physicians, clinicians, and and into the medical terminology, let's back up a second. So these new drugs, as you said, are monoclonal antibodies. And to make it simple, kind of a real easy explanation, antibodies are proteins that our bodies attach to things that it thinks are bad to call our immune system to go fight them. And in Alzheimer's, we think those are these amyloids that you mentioned, a plaque deposit that gets established in our brains. So that's kind of how these drugs work, right? They call our immune system to attack what it thinks is going wrong.
1: That's correct. It is attacking the amyloid protein and. Uh, There are a number of other potential causes of Alzheimer's disease. Um, So amyloid is most likely not the only cause, but it is what we are specifically talking about for this class of medication.
0: So these drugs do come with some risks, and you identified some of them there. We have to very carefully identify patients for whom are likely to receive benefit, and you said that that right now involves a PET scan. How expensive is a PET scan? Uh, it
1: can it can range from a couple thousand dollars to tens of thousands of dollars. Really, just depends on where people get them from. It's not as common as a CT scan where any sort of emergency services probably has a CT scan. It's much more specialized. Uh, It's using nuclear medicine that tag those amyloid proteins to be able to see it on the brain.
0: Okay. So that's one problem. This diagnostic to even get into the program and receive these medications is crazy expensive and just not available in a lot of communities. Okay. So there's problem one. Then there's the issue of what happens when your immune system starts going to war with something in your brain. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So this is where we know through the clinical trials that there are some rare but definitely possible side effects that are called amyloid-related imaging abnormalities or aria, A-R-I-A-S. It's kind of a nondescript name, uh, but really it's talking about small areas of swelling, and small areas of bleeding in the brain. And because it's generating an inflammatory response against these protein, the brain is basically in the process of removing them. So part of monitoring for aria is by doing serial MRIs of the brain to be able to pick up these very small areas of swelling and, and or microbleeds or small bleeding and appropriately stop the medication if they get to a certain threshold such as you know either the patient is having symptoms or that they're big enough that we need to pause or potentially stop the medication altogether.:
0: So I'm going to go have these medications through an infusion and IV. How often are they administered?
1: It is every two weeks, which it's very frequent, uh, much more frequent than even some of the chemotherapies that we think of for cancer.
0: So I've got to go have this infusion every two weeks. How often then do I need to have the MRI checkup to make sure there's not something going wrong on my brain?
1: Again, we're waiting for FDA official approval and the package insert in terms of indicating how frequently. We do have an idea with aducanumab, which is a similar drug. We know that for the MRIs, they probably have to be done at least two or three times during the first year of getting the infusion.
0: So what's the expectation what did the uh, trials show us in terms of outcomes how much does this really slow progression of the disease
1: Yeah so this is an area of active debate and the trials were done over a course of 18 months. And these are in people who have very mild symptoms. So they compare folks who are getting a placebo uh, saline infusion versus the lakanumab infusion. But the primary outcome they were looking at is sort of a, a small imp- a small degree of less decline compared to the folks who received the placebo. So this is in, uh, a, a test called the Clinical Dementia Rating Scale, and it's out of 18 points, and the difference was probably about 0.5. But again, it's it's not a very remarkable difference. However, the other side would say that most of the participants within the trial never got to 18, because 18 is the maximum amount of dementia severity. And there's also um, a potential extrapolation of what does this 18 months improvement mean down the line? If people Mm -hmm. are getting improvement in the very early stages, could that be compounded as time goes on to be uh, more improvement or less decline compared to the folks who got nothing five, 10 years down the line? That's where we really don't have enough data to really say exactly what that might be. All of the secondary outcomes, including some outcomes on how people function in daily life is also showing improvement. So all of the data is at least consistent, but it's a small difference and it just depends on kind of different clinician and researcher's interpretation of how much that difference could realistically be. But I don't think any one of us have, you know, a crystal ball as to say, you know, if you take this medicine for 18 months, you'll gain an X amount of time down the line.
0: So that's a lot of expense, lots of doctor's appointments and significant risk of side effects possibly for an uncertain return. Tough calculation to make. But if you're 55 and you can sense there's something going wrong with your memory and your mind, well, at least these drugs offer hope. Let's go a little deeper and get to know more when we return. We're back in just a moment after you hear from some businesses I hope you'll support because they support the Health Call Radio Hour. You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, your regular weekend appointment with top health care professionals where every session is painless and we never keep you waiting. Now back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Yeah, welcome back. Glad you tuned in to a conversation with a physician and Alzheimer's researcher by the name of Mia Yang. We're learning why she says America's healthcare system is not ready to cope with challenges that are going to be posed by new drugs designed to fight Alzheimer's. We've explained how they work and why they're only for people early in their fight with dementia. Medicare and VA are going to pay for part of these treatments, so that means what? It means we're all paying, right? That's another problem for Dr. Yang. It's the huge cost that starts with an estimated price tag just for the drug of $26,000 per year.
1: That is not including the cost of the MRIs, the infusion center, the clinicians, um, all of the other monitoring that goes around it. There has been some estimation on the part of folks who are um, in health economics as to how much this would cost Medicare. Mm -hmm. And it probably is going to be around a billion dollars or more or less, depending on in actuality how many people end up taking it.
0: Do we have any idea what percentage of patients are going to be eligible and qualify?
1: So that has also varied, and that really will depend on how strict. FDA sets kind of the inclusion criteria or the eligibility criteria, but it's definitely not the majority of patients who have Alzheimer's disease.
0: One of the challenges here is finding those people with early symptoms. We don't really have a good way of screening those folks out, right? I mean, I, I could be in my 50s still working and experiencing some challenges that I would never associate with early onset of dementia,
1: right? That is what's tricky is that the more highly educated you are, the more uh, cognitively challenging your job is, the more subtle the differences you might be noticing. But we don't always get that comparison. In fact, most of the time we're not comparing you're testing with yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know how you were when you were 50 versus, say, 55 or 60. So it usually takes quite a lot of testing to be able to tease out what is considered mild cognitive impairment, which means this is not just normal changes with aging versus um, abnormal changes with aging, but not dementia.
0: You know, I want to be excited about these drugs. I want to be excited about this progress, but after everything we've discussed, I'm just not there yet. Is it really that big a deal?
1: I think it is a big deal in the sense that these are the first what we think are disease-modifying drugs. Uh, The reason why there is so much excitement around the mAbs or the monoclonal antibodies is that these are the first drugs that we think are targeting the underlying disease. And so even though the group of folks in the clinical trials who received lacanumab or aducanumab um, did not necessarily have improvement of their memory compared to placebo, it is definitely showing a slowing of disease compared to those who received placebo. So I would say I'm I'm a little excited. I'm not the most excited, but I'm a little excited.
0: Okay. So a small smiley face emoji. All right, yes, I get that. Right. Yeah. Okay, all right. So is the expectation that once I'm starting on these meds I'm just going to be on them for long term? How often might I have these infusions?
1: So that's another uh, uncertainty. So at least we know with lecanemab that people have been on them for 18 months for the duration of the study and potentially longer after that. But the big answer is really, we don't know how long people need mm. to be on it. What we do know about amyloid buildup is that typically it's rather slow and it's built up over decades or years. So once that Amyloid is cleared out. It's very unlikely to be suddenly back. Um, Hmm. So, all of that is to say we don't know exactly.
0: You know, I guess here's I'm I'm feeling like this, and you check me on this, right? So, give me a read on whether I'm on the right path here. So, if I have lots of infrastructure limitations, there aren't enough infusion centers. There aren't enough uh, doctors who are skilled in this. There aren't enough effective means to test patients and identify those who are going to be able to be candidates. The cost of all of this is extreme at the minimum, uh, outlandish at the maximum. This really, I see why you're saying we're not ready for this. What you're thinking about the average patient, how excited should I be if I think I might be headed down this road?
1: there's really, in my mind, two different Alzheimer's disease. There is the the majority of folks with Alzheimer's disease who kind of get it later in life, uh, or that they may have had a parent who got it later in life, meaning in their 70s, 80s, or beyond. Mm-hmm. I think that's much more of a mixed picture in terms of what's going on in peop- people's brain. And it's not just amyloid. We know, in fact, that people can have amyloid in their brain and have normal memory uh, on testing and in function for years. But I do think these drugs are particularly exciting, or at least I'm excited for, the folks who are in the early onset Alzheimer's disease group. These are folks who are in their late 50s or mid-50s or early 60s who are noticing changes in terms of their memory at their jobs. And they're not, maybe, not be even Medicare eligible, um, but they're seeing changes. And we know that through memory testing, they're not normal changes for a 50 to 60 year old, and that they're seeing themselves kind of going down this path of decline, uh, oftentimes maybe at a faster pace than someone who is older. I think this is the group of folks that I've had conversations about the canumab with because almost always these are amyloid driven diseases and that these drugs could potentially be most helpful uh, and save these folks a longer or, or delay um, the decline in their function uh, in a very noticeable way because they're young. You know, they have decades potentially mm-hmm. of their life and that if they don't do anything, and we think this is definitely early onset Alzheimer's disease, then usually this is the disease that ends their life prematurely.
0: So what are those symptoms? What should I be looking for? You got me paranoid now. I mean, it's not, you know, I forgot where I put my car keys. That's not the thing here. What what are those symptoms that we need to be alert to?
1: Yeah, and that can really be <laughs> quite um, subtle and difficult to tell in in a person's daily life, meaning, you know, with age, we're always having a little bit more time, uh, needing a little bit more time in terms of multitasking. Um, And I think this is really the difference that's going to be told in in cognitive testing. Because even if I take a very detailed history talking to you for an hour, I may not really know what is normal for your age versus abnormal for your age. And this is where memory testing is really important. Uh, one test that is has been out for decades and is developed specifically to identify folks with mild cognitive impairment is what's called MOCA or the Montreal Cognitive Assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a harder test than some of the other common tests called a mini mental status exam. And sometimes uh If people are having a lot of problems in what we call um, executive functioning, meaning they're having a difficult time sequencing things together or that they're having just a very isolated problem in terms of their short term memory and everything else is okay, Those are typically the early signs of something that's not normal for their age.
0: That is Dr. Mia Yang, a board-certified internist, geriatrician, and Alzheimer's researcher. If you are a healthcare provider, hit up the video version of our interview for more detail about her concerns and what she sees as some stumbling blocks you might face in the clinic. I'll have a link to Dr. Mia's podcast for you. Also, that mocha screening tool she just mentioned, that'll all be on the show notes so you can take a look and decide whether it's right for you. I always ask experts like her how they minimize their personal dementia risks. She says diet and exercise, sleep, and stress reduction, they're still the best medicine for your brain. In particular, she mentioned the Mediterranean diet, high in fruits, vegetables, beans, fish, and omega-3 fatty acids as being very good for your brain. So if it's what Mediterranean peasant could forage for and find on the shore. That's the best way to live. I hope you'll stay tuned through the news and weather because we have much more coming up in the second half of today's Health Call Radio Hour.